Welcome to the How to Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marbus, and today we are so honored to have Dr. Erin Hennessy. How are you doing today? I'm well. How are you? Good. Thank you so much. So you join us from Child Obesity 180, and we will get into that, but you are an expert in many things, but I'd love to know and understand our audience to kind of what your specialty is, what your PhD is in, and then we can lead us down the path of how you um, ended up in Childhood Obesity 180. Sure, yeah. Um, so my background is in nutrition, but very broad in nutrition. Um, I came into the field a little bit, I guess, indirectly in some ways. Um, when I was young, you know, the in elementary school. I grew up in a community called Woburn, Massachusetts. And unfortunately, that community has a negative connotation. You may have heard of um, the book and the movie called The Civil Action. Hmm. And uh, it was starring John Travolta. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that is really a story about contaminated water and childhood leukemia. But it's also a story about public policy and community action. And so from a young age, I grew up not being able to drink tap water. It was sort of taboo. You you might get cancer if you drank the tap water. It turned your dishwater brown. Everything about tap water in my household was bad because of what had happened in my community. And that really just instilled in me in a very young age, just sort of this connection between our bodies and what we eat and our environment that we grow up, uh, we grow up in. So I went to Tufts University for undergrad, and that's when I started studying biology and thinking I might want to go to medical school, also studying community health and how communities, however you define them, can come together um, to respond to health crises or health consequences. And that actually is where I met Dr. Chris Economos, who founded Child Obesity 180. I was also an athlete. I played soccer through college in my whole life and had always been interested in nutrition. But at that time, nutrition wasn't as hot of a topic as it is now. Um, So I would be embarrassed to tell you what my diet was like in college at that time. (laughs) But I actually ended up taking a nutrition undergrad class um, on a whim uh, as a favor to a friend because... It's often taken um, as a science requirement, but because I was a science major, I didn't really need to take it. But I was like, oh, I've always thought about what I eat and how I perform on the field. And, you know, this may be helpful for me. And my friend had wanted me to take it with her because it was at 8.05 in the morning and just wanted some motivation and, you know, camaraderie to get up in the morning and go to class. And uh, the first day, it just, it just spoke to me. It was... everything about the content, I was like, this is exactly what I want to do with my life. Um, So when I graduated, you know, when everybody's trying to find a job, I was like, what, what am I going to do? I know I didn't, I know I didn't want to work in a lab. I really loved working with people and individuals and communities. Um, And so I reached out to uh, Dr. Economos and who had been my professor and just sort of sent her an email and said, Hey, do you know of any jobs? And, you know, I'm really interested in this field, but not sure what direction I should go into. And really, you know, some of this is networking and a lot of it is luck. And she had just gotten her first big grant from the National Institutes of Health to develop a community-based intervention to improve bone health, actually, by working with first through third graders in after-school programs. And she hired me as her research assistant. And I always joke that I was like the research assistant that never left. Um, (laughs) Evolved from there where, you know, it was just really lucky that I ended up at a university that had the only independent school of nutrition in North America. So there's lots of um, 
schools that have departments or programs in nutrition, but Tufts is the only independent school of North America and uh, independent school of nutrition, excuse me. And what that does is it, it gives you a breadth and depth of the field that most programs and divisions can't have because we have entire programs dedicated to agriculture or food policy or nutrition communication. So I was able to be exposed to just everything um, about the field and really kind of narrowed in on nutrition communication and behavior change. I've always loved working with children. So that was um, something that I always wanted to do and um, really enjoyed research. So I did a lot of um, academic research working on different community-based interventions with Dr. Economos and others over time. Um, And then I actually went and worked in food industry. I was really interested in how um, the broader context, again, that environment piece and how where we live shapes what we do. And, you know, as much as we can uh, complain about industry and some of the negatives, they are a big player and they can also have a lot of positive impact. So I worked for an organic yogurt company and was working to get healthier foods into schools across the country. It was a wonderful experience. Um, it also taught me as much as I like yogurt and I think it's a great product um, and probiotics have a lot of positive aspects about them. Uh, I, I'm not one to sell food. It's just not what I do mm-hmm. <laughs> well. So I went back and got my PhD in, in food policy and applied nutrition and um, haven't looked back since. So tell us what does applied nutrition means? Because someone yeah. may not understand the, those terms. Yeah, there are a lot of words <laughs> in, in, the, in the various degrees that I have. Uh, so applied nutrition is really taking the concepts of nutrition and bringing them out into the field, if you will. So bringing them to schools or communities or to actual people and clinics and places and applying that knowledge to create change. So that might look anything from you know cognitive behavioral therapy to uh, improve one's diet to designing, you know, a school-based program to address physical activity and nutrition. So it's a really broad range, but it's just taking that knowledge out of the bench, if you will. Um, And obviously there's a whole continuum of work that, that gets done and gets translated over time, but it's taking the science of, you know, what we know about our bodies and how we respond to different nutrients and the combination of those nutrients and how we can get people to eat healthier foods. So, so you're basically taking the science, showing someone actually how to make that actionable items now. So yeah. Yeah. working with a community or even maybe physicians on how to actually help their patients eat healthier. We need a lot yeah. of help with that. Yeah. My, <laughs> <laughs> um, lots of people are working in that area. Um, you know, there's, I'll just jump a little ahead to, to the sure. area because that's um, something that's been a constant theme in my work. So when, as I mentioned, the first project that I worked on was around um, osteoporosis and chronic disease prevention. And that was in the late 90s and early 2000s. And right around that time is when we started um, hearing the data about childhood obesity and the staggering numbers of children and the shift that that we saw from the 70s to now, um, where now we have about a third of our children who uh, who are obese. So, you know, that problem is really complex and multifactorial. It, it, it isn't just one person or one area that, uh, is, that has contributed to that. You know, that's a, it's a big shift that happened in a short amount of time. Yeah. So that's not just genes or genetics changing. It's not possible for that to happen in that short of time. So it says that there's 
multiple factors. And if there's multiple factors, there's multiple settings and multiple players that need to come into the equation. Clinicians and the healthcare environment um, being one of them, schools, communities, you know, the broader food industry, et cetera. So it's, it's complex, but we're seeing some progress, but we have a long way to go. Wow. So could you, when you mentioned all these different players, is there one that you found to be the more um, advantageous as far as moving things along in one particular area? Are they more responsive and you're seeing some differences occur? Yeah. You know, that's a great question. Um, the, the way I think about it, I think back to one of um, Chris Economos's most successful studies um, that was really in some ways, the predecessor to Child Obesity 180, but she worked on an intervention between 2003 to 2005 called Shape Up Somerville. Shape Up Somerville actually to this day is the first community-based participatory research study to reduce what we call unnecessary weight gain in children. Um, And those words, community-based participatory, means that the community itself found that childhood obesity was a problem for them and they wanted to mobilize and create change. And they worked collaboratively, the university and the community together to design and implement and then disseminate an intervention. Um, And that intervention was really designed to think about like, okay, if we're going to change what a child eats, how much they move, how much time they're spending in front of the screen, how do we do that? Well, let's just break it down. Let's think about before school, during school, after school, the home and the community as these reinforcing environments. Children spend a huge part of their day at school. That doesn't mean to say that schools are the problem. They're part of the solution. And it's also a nice contained space in which to reach and engage children, clearly. (laughs) Where are these people? How can we talk to them and hear from them? And it was about breaking down this, what we call this energy gap. So it's really only about 150 calories per day that's driven the obesity epidemic. Mm -hmm. So if you can break that 150 calories down and say, let's have children walk to school, maybe we can burn 15 extra calories. Let's improve their breakfast and they can eat more fiber, more fruits and vegetables, lower um, lower calories. And then, you know, during school, can we get them to move more? Can we get a little bit more physical activity during the school day? And if you can do that in all of those different environments and make small shifts, you can actually make a big difference. And that's exactly what Shape Up uh, did. And what's really important is that when, um, when I was working on that intervention, I would go and train the teachers and the teachers, every training would say, please, um, can you talk to the parents? Because we actually really need the parents to do this. We're already doing a lot. And I would say that is a great point. And yes, we are working with parents. And the parents would say, can you please work with the schools? Because when they go to school, they're you know not getting the healthy foods. And it's like, that's a great point. We're working with the schools. And every single sort of player or actor or group was at the table and we were working with those groups. So we kind of see it as like a whole system that needs to come together, kind of like a gearbox, right? If you're imagining a community where all these gears are happening, if you only have one gear happening, right? That community is doing really great on physical activity, but it's 
has so much fast food around it and the school lunch program needs a lot of work that that one gear can't do it all you need all those gears working together and that's exactly what shape up summerville did and that's why it was successful so what do you do what do you define as successful so in like the beginning what were your type of uh, stats or what were your objectives what objectives were met and what was your end result or ongoing results i guess mm-hmm. Yeah, so we define success in many ways. I mean, the the hard scientists are going to press you on um, the primary outcome, which was BMI Z score change, um, mm-hmm. and that was you know statistically significant. So children who lived in that uh, intervention community of Somerville, um, they were able to gain less weight over the year because all children are in positive energy balance, right? They're supposed to be growing. We want them to grow. We just want them to grow in a healthy way. And we were able to slow that down. So some children were able who were, you know, already high, just didn't need to go even higher compared Mm -hmm. to these control communities. So we monitored children in two other communities. So that way you can kind of see, is this just, you know, trends in time where everybody's kind of going down. And it was like, no, actually the Somerville children were doing better compared to those others. But there's other successful indicators, right? The focus of that intervention was on policy and environmental change, not on, you know, one-on-one counseling. The goal was to make it sustainable. And if you can embed policies and change environments, you're going to have much greater success with sustainability of what you're doing. So we had a lot of wins around that time. It was when the federal government mandated school wellness policies. And Somerville worked really hard to change their school wellness policy, not just on paper, but in practice. So they changed their a la carte and were taking the unhealthy snacks and off and providing only healthier snacks or providing ice cream one day a week as opposed to five days a week. So, you know, every food fits and have everybody be happy. But if you're going to put a children on the lunch line and you're going to have full fat chips and ice cream against your broccoli and your strawberries, it's, it's going to be a hard sell. Um, so, you know, the small things like that, larger things such as infrastructure changes. So the, um, Community is kind of a gateway community to Boston. Lots of people drive through it. And because it has such a high traffic volume, even though it's urban and there's a lot of sidewalks, it doesn't feel that safe to walk to school or it didn't at the time. So the mayor had actually committed city funds to redo all of the crosswalks as opposed to painting them in paint that wears off really quickly. They use thermoplastic material much more expensive and a much greater investment on the community, but it made the difference to promote walking to school. Hmm. And now, you know, what I can say, one of, you know, what's the marker indicator of success? Shape Up Somerville lives to this day. So that intervention started and ran between 2003 to 2005. And if you go into Somerville, Mass now, they still have a Shape Up Somerville director. They've expanded the program in a number of ways to reach not just children, but older adults um, and the broader community at large. But that was an investment where that grant, that research project um, paid for, you know, a director, you know, the Shape Up Somerville coordinator. And then when that grant ended, you know, all those funds go away. And a lot of time the researchers leave and then everything that you did over the past three years just kind of falls by the wayside. But because we designed it to be sustainable from the get-go, the university and community worked on a transition plan. And so that 
city actually absorbed a full-time position to have a director who led this program. Oh, that's incredible. So how did you decide that what would be the right choices to make in the beginning to make it sustainable? Was mm. it- <laughs> you ask really good questions. <laughs> <laughs> I have thought of many of these things and lived in many communities. So, (laughs) Um, I, you know, I think that is where the, the community-based participatory research aspect of it was really critical because it wasn't just the university researchers saying the evidence says that we have to do X, Y, and Z to make change. It was ground truthing with the community to say, that's nice, but that's not going to work <laughs> um, or that's not going to fly over time. Um, so, you know, for a concrete example, um, the focus was on increasing fruits and vegetables, increasing whole grains, um, increasing physical activity, decreasing screen time. And um, actually, a big part of the food service changes were around bean consumption. So beans are very healthy and um, are part of a healthy diet, have a lot of protein, lots of nutrients, a good source of fiber, but not something that's always kid-friendly. And um, not that I love the term kid-friendly, but they can be a harder sell on the lunch line. Mm-hmm. But the food service director said, I have all of this, what's called commodity foods. So schools are given foods from the government um, at, a, at a much cheaper or, or free rate. So she has all these beans and you know they're healthy <laughs> and mm-hmm. they cost her almost no money. So what can we do to help you know, access that. And so there was a whole part of the intervention where somebody ran a social marketing campaign around beans. They had like a rate, um, a program over the loudspeaker at the elementary schools to, um, I think it was like bean man or something, <laughs> the adventures of bean man and then recipe contests. Um, so that families could see their recipe on the school lunch menu and really just did a lot of, um, engagement strategies around that. So it's, it's a little funny, but yeah, it really was a, a true collaborative effort to decide which policies had the highest likelihood of sustainability. But that's a very good example of marketing at work, right? So this is where we can learn from our corporate partners. Yes. Well, how are you getting, what are you doing in the grocery stores? What are you doing in different lines? And I know there is research because I've written, I have a a thing of 57 tips to get your kids to eat more vegetables. And so I went to the research and said, well, what are marketers doing? And so they actually did some studies in schools and you probably know of them, but they, they did exactly that. They put little super characters, you know, superhero characters and mm-hmm. on a carrots and they ate more carrots and it was really significant consumption, but that's how kids think and making food fun and intervent, you know, and, right. Uh, right. interactive. So that's great. Oh, yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah. So as far as, is there somewhere that, let's say there's like someone listening who um, is involved in a community and they are thinking, mm-hmm. well, maybe we can be the next Somerville. Is there somewhere that we can access that information and how to get started or who to contact? Yeah, um, you know, some of that is on our childobesity180.org website. I think it's a little bit, um, I can talk more about that and sort of why we went in the direction that Child Obesity 180 has done as opposed to continuing on in the one community, bring it all together. I can tell you about some of our thinking about how to tie those two worlds together. But yeah, on the school nutrition website for Tufts University, the Friedman School website, there's more information about Shape Up Somerville. And people can always reach out to myself and Dr. Economos. I mean, she has talked to 
hundreds of people across the country, especially when that study first came out about mm-hmm. how can I do this? If you search YouTube, you could probably hear some of her talks and see mm-hmm. some of her presentations about how you do this. And to anybody who's listening, the number one thing that it takes is a spark plug. You can, anybody in the community can be that spark plug. Um, you know, I applaud anybody who has that energy and that passion because it makes all of the difference in the world. We were really lucky in Shape Up Somerville, that spark plug. Um, there were lots of smaller spark plugs, if you will. I think the the grant from um, NIH, I mean, sorry, from the Centers for Disease Control that supported that work was like a tiny little catalyst, right? Um, and But the mayor of Somerville ended up being the biggest champion. And, you know, that kind of um, support from that local leader really was able to give it the prominence that it needed, that people were like, oh, this this is meaningful. Like people, like they're not going away anytime soon. Um, and But even if you don't have a local leader who's ready uh, to jump on board, it, it's a tough political climate now. And um, that may not be the best strategy depending on where you are. You can, you can do that. We work with lots of um, communities, some who have coalitions or groups of people who've been meeting together, but I think networking, figuring out what's going on in your community and in where you can kind of get that mobilization and that grassroots efforts going. Absolutely. And I think probably your local public health department or local mm-hmm. school, if they have their own garden. I know we started a garden um, when I lived in Western Colorado. I'm in Washington State now had a few moves between then. We actually started, um, well, someone reached out to me to do nutritional education for a local food bank. And, you know, it's all the same stuff. It's processed foods, it's boxed, it's people are giving, you know, stuff away that's not healthy. So we actually worked with the community and started a local garden um, at the food bank. And so, and that's, that has gone on. um, And uh, that's been four or five years now. So that's, it's been really cool. So that's really awesome. So I know you're um, tight with time, but for the last 15 minutes or so, if you could please tell us about the childobesity180.org and what is that? I mean, there's, like you said, we, before we started, there's so much to talk about. We've come in hedging around it. So tell us, what is this exactly? Yeah, yeah. So Child Obesity 180 started about 10 years ago, a little less. Um, and you know, speak about, speak of spark plugs, um, but it was, it was really, um, you know, obviously there was a lot of work that Dr. Economos had done that was really successful, like Shape Up Somerville and some other projects that had gotten some recognition. And there was a trustee of the university um, who was really just passionate about the issue of childhood obesity and really wanted to put his money where his mouth is and, and try to make a difference. And so through some brainstorming, um, Chris and um, this individual, Peter Dolan, came up with the idea of integrating public health and business innovation. So Peter Dolan was the former CEO of a Fortune 500 company, had enormous business experience. Chris had a lot, enormous public health and you know nutrition intervention experience. And it's really that idea of how can we take the best of business to accelerate the adoption and um, putting into practice of all of these evidence-based interventions that we that we know work in small places. Mm-hmm. So that was sort of the idea of like, let's accelerate public health through business innovation. And um, what they did was really think about the idea of scale. So again, we have 
Lots of interventions have been successful. Let's get them out to communities. We have people like you and some of your listeners all around who are like, I'm ready to do something. Give me something to do. Um, so we develop these initiatives. So again, this is where it connects back to what I was saying at the beginning about Shape Up Somerville of like, what area, what part of a child's day do you need to get to? And through a lot of work with um, what we call our charter members, but CEO level individuals who advise our organization. So, you know, the heads of, you know, organizations that are in after school time or out of school time the grocery store world. Um, So I don't really want to name individuals. People can go to our website and see who everybody is, Um, but I don't want to leave anybody off my list, but we've had amazing individuals who we're going to help disseminate, you know, advise us on what we should do, but also get the word out there. And we thought about, you know, well, what should we do? Right. So we need to, but the evidence tells us we need to think about quality physical activity in physical education. So we developed our active schools acceleration project. So we did a crowdsourcing of all of the innovative physical activity programs that schools are doing and did a a competition to see who was going to rise to the top. Um, And then from there, we gave out micro grants to a thousand schools um, to see, okay, if you had your pick of these three programs, which one would you do and how, how would it go? How does this, like, can you actually get some movement and some traction here? And then we took that and started spreading that out across, um, across the U.S. And now that's actually morphed into what we call the billion mile race, where we've challenged children and schools to walk, jog, or run a billion miles. Um, so schools sign up, they have, there's a platform so they can log their miles so they can do it through running clubs or walking clubs. It doesn't matter how you get there, but just get there and do a little bit, you know, a couple days a week or every day. And that way you can see what other schools in your area are participating, who's getting more miles. And there's different incentives. Um, So the New Balance Foundation actually had um, a really fun event where um, we had a competition for like the best video of how you're activating your school for physical activity. And the winner, who was um, a school, an elementary school in Kentucky, re- every child in that school received a pre- free pair of sneakers from the New Balance Foundation. Oh, wow. That's so incredible. it's it's really like, you know, from business, right? Get that excitement and, you know, get that network and people are all in together into this big competition in a very positive, healthy way. So then the other thing to think about is, well, where are children spending their, a lot of their time? Yes, school's one of them. So thinking about active schools acceleration project, but now there's this whole movement around out of school time. So children do spend a lot of time in after school programs or enrichment activities like Boys and Girls Club, um, YMCA, Girl Scouts of America, et cetera. And what we did was convene all the leaders of those organizations to say, are you promoting the best messages and communicating that to all of your leaders and scout leaders and tribe leaders, et cetera? And we came up with a set of guiding principles of drink right, move more, snack smart. So drink right, moving from sugar-sweetened beverages to water, move more, incorporating physical activity. So if it's an enrichment program like 4-H or um, Girl Scouts that maybe isn't sports-based, maybe we could get a little bit more physical activity in. When we're serving snacks, let's try to think about the fruits and vegetables that are being served at snack and not just, um, you know, it's a little hard with budgets and logistical constraints to do that, but um, we can try. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so those are the three guiding principles and those went out to all of the organizations and it's amazing what happens, right? Some people just run with it. Now there's actually um, a patch for Girl Scouts to achieve around the principles um, yeah, for healthier kids out of school time is what we call it. Then you think about, well, where are we eating? The majority of people are not eating at home in family meals. That would be great, but let's meet people where they are. So they're in restaurants. Many children, especially those who are um, may from, come from households that are lower income, are eating a lot of fast food. We know about um, a third of children eat at a fast food restaurant every single day in the United States. Mm. We also know that as you know, as challenging as the fast food menu can be, there are several restaurants that have made some positive changes to their menu to offer healthier foods. So there are sometimes kids menus that have um, a set of calories so that there is um, the kids menu, you know, if you're going to order off that, the meal is going to be 600 calories or less. So it's kind of one way to constrain it, to think about kid portion sizes, as opposed to having a young child order off of the, the adult menu. But there um, are um, restaurants that have made the healthy choice the default choice. So that, you know, a fruit, like a slice, apple slices, is the, the side that comes with the kid's meal. Or the default isn't a sugar-sweetened beverage like a soda, it's milk. Mm-hmm. But those things are happening. So as much as we have a long way to go to push the restaurant industry to keep up with the supply of healthier foods, mm-hmm. we also need to push demand. If consumers aren't going to order for those things when they go out to eat, the, the, the industry, right? They need to make money. They're a business. So it, it's a two-way street here. So we developed a marketing campaign called You're the Mom. So it's a community-wide social marketing campaign that really tries to empower moms. Just all moms are busy. We have a lot going on. Um, they do amazing things. We all want our kids to eat healthy. So let's speak to that. Let's give moms the language and the guidance to help them make healthier choices for their children. Let's think about small swaps, right? Nobody wants to go into a restaurant and get in a fight. So maybe, you know, we can just make one small change. If we can go from a fried chicken to a grilled chicken, can we go from a large fry to a small fry? You know, could we maybe leave out dessert today? There's simple messages and simple tactics that you can make where you don't have to make every meal a fight. <laughs> um, so we actually tested that um, that campaign and the community had tremendous success and such a strong community response to the messages. And we now actually have a toolkit that any community can pick up. So for any of your listeners who are interested in it, they can go to our childobesity180.org website and you know get the graphics, get the infographics, um, see what we put on Facebook, the kinds of tweets that we've sent out. And there's a whole package ready to go and to be implemented. And you don't need a lot of money to do all of it. You know, obviously, if you want to go bigger and you can get billboards, we have billboard designs for you. (laughs) (laughs) But if that's big, that's okay. (laughs) Wow. So, and I think that's just a small part of all, if you have a nice timeline also uh, on your obesity, child obesity 180 website, discussing all that and then you know, of course, the doctor, I guess it's Mr. Dolan. He's not a PhD, right? Mr. right? Dolan. He's from Bristol Myers, right? Yes. Originally. And um, I, I did, I saw um, several Dr. Economist's um, videos and her talking about the Somerville 
project. That was what really sparked my interest because I think it's so important. What are your future hopes in projects that you see that maybe something we can help with or disseminate more information? Where do you think we should be headed? Yeah, and you know, that's that's a lot of what we talked about. Um, because in some ways, right, if you think about Shape Up Somerville being this um systems approach, bring all the all the groups together mm-hmm. <laughs> and get them to disseminate out. And then child obesity 180 sort of um focus more on scale and how can we get the as many programs out across the country as we possibly can. And both of those things need to happen, right? And so now it's kind of trying to put this um, sort of sandwich together of how can we scale and get a community to coordinate their activities. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's really the direction that we're headed in. And we've been working um, with the community and we started working with some other communities. Like I said, some, a lot of communities have coalitions already. So they have, you know, people meet together to talk about what can we do to support our children, whether it's reaching kindergarten at a healthy weight, whether it's thinking about, you know, healthy eating and physical activity for all of our community residents. And, you know, I think if that isn't happening, that's what you can do as a spark plug in your community. Think about how to start and initiate that coalition. A lot of times it just takes the legwork to talk to people to say, okay, you're the director of Parks and Rec. You're the head of early education. Like, let's all talk together. Like, Mm -hmm. we're all part of this, you know, part of the solution. And um, what we have found is that people in the same community who might bump into each other at meetings all the time and think that they know what each other is doing, actually learn so much just from being at the same table and learn a lot about the resources that are there. Hmm. So the goal now is really how can we do that, but at a much larger scale, right? Right. Um, so we're moving toward thinking about how can we develop, um, you know, trainings and leadership institutes and places where people, you know, be a home for people to come. Like you said, like, I want to do Shape Up Somerville. Um, and so now we're trying to figure out what the right model is so that we can do that on a national scale. Wow. Well, it's just no small task that you've set out to, to achieve. My goodness. I, think that's, <laughs> I like it. World dominance works. <laughs> For healthier children. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's funny because my kids have, I've never had a weight issue. They've always been very active. We've been focused on healthy eating. And so we were fortunate in that sense, but you're exactly right. When I went to medical school, they were little five, three, 10 months when I started medical school. And um, I could see that where it's, you're so busy, it's easy to go to a fast food, you drive through and before you know it, buddy, it's a year's gone by and something else has occurred. So there's many factors and parents need to stop feeling guilty, but start looking for solutions. Right. right. And absolutely. I'm sure we could have a whole nother hour conversation on behavior change. Cause I know that's part of the things that you've done is, is just how to, to sustain behavior change, which is one of my favorite things to talk about. And I brought on, um, positive psychologists to the show. And, um, but one of the things that really struck a chord with me was several years ago, I heard um, a tape of Dr. Richard Carmona, the previous Surgeon General, discussing mm-hmm. how our children's, like, you, and it says here also on your website, that that generation is, is, has a shorter lifespan right. than as parents. And that just, wow, this just broke my heart. Mm-hmm. And so um, I interviewed Dr. Richard Carmona. He's such a nice individual. And it's about health literacy, right? It's the same idea as just disseminating that information and helping them become actionable items. And so right. I applaud all of your all, your efforts and everything that you're doing. I think it's fascinating. And I think 
many people here will too, because I never even heard of it. I, I think that's part of the issue, right? There's so many things, like you said, we don't know who's in our community, much less on a national scale or something that's occurring in Tufts, right. what's going on in, you know, little a town in New Mexico, you know, how can that help? And right. so that's fascinating. So. And you know, really, we're all coming from the spirit of we want what's best for our children, right? And so right. even if you don't care about the problem of childhood obesity, or, or that's not the most pressing problem you would consider either for your child or for your community, you know, healthier eating, physical activity, you know, those kinds of behaviors link to, to many different outcomes, whether it's improved cognition and better performance in school to, you know, healthier bones when you're elderly. Like it, it has so many benefits that, you know, it really, it's, it's on us as adults to figure out how to engineer healthier environments for our kids. And I think we need to understand, even if we're isolated, we're like, well, I don't have kids. Why worry about it? Someone else's problem. Um, I'm sorry, but there will be a time when you're relying on those children to be (laughs) healthy adults, right? Right. And supporting us in a country that needs a military and government leaders and, you know, a decrease in our chronic and our spending for medical conditions and chronic disease. I mean, it will affect you at one point or another. Um, And you think about the brains that are lost from illness, those future, those bright futures that could be a source of um, amazing results in helping solve problems. Right. And and re-engineering an environment to be healthier is beneficial for all, right? Making sure that you have access, availability, affordability in your community for healthier foods for all, not just children. Making sure that it's safe, whether that means safe from crime, safe from traffic, safe from wild animals, you know, depending on where you live, is important for all, right? So these are, these are you know, it's, it's really not age dependent here. No, it's not, but it, it is interesting. So it's fascinating, but I want to keep to your time limit and I so appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And um, I know you uh, have so much more to go and I can't wait to share this with everyone. And again, thank you. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to do it.